The scripture reading today is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 31a. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, ah, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, oh, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. This is the word of the Lord. It's great to be with you this morning. My name is Parker. I'm a ministry resident here, and it's a joy to open the word of God with you this morning. Let's pray as we begin. Father in heaven, we ask for your help now, that you would give us eyes to see the things that you have put here in your word. Spirit of God, would you be at work in our hearts to soften them, to change them, correct us where we need correction, comfort us where we need to be comforted, that Jesus, you would be honored and glorified in our living today and in the rest of the week ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a few years ago, I was living in Toronto, and I was riding my bike in the wintertime. I was coming home late one evening after my studies, and I was biking home. It was in the middle of a snowstorm, as often happens in downtown Toronto, and um, something happened. A bit of a problem encountered on my bike, and I had to pull over. Something broke, and I wasn't able to keep going. 
It wasn't my tires and it wasn't my gears, wasn't my chain and it wasn't my brakes. But what actually happened was that my pedal fell off. That was pretty essential. I pulled over and I went to see what the issue was and I realized that the small threads on the pedal that screw the pedal into the bike frame completely eroded. And so there was nothing left to hold my pedal into the bike. And so I couldn't go forward. I learned that night that those small threads, those super small threads, like previously I did not think about them. Previously, I didn't really know that they were there. I didn't really care about them. But I learned that night that those small threads are so important for the bike to do its job, to bring me safely down the street. And I learned that in some sense, if you were to talk to my tires that night, they would have said, yeah, we, we couldn't do what we wanted to do because those guys weren't doing their job. So I learned how to value those threads and I learned that every part of the bike is dependent on them. I think Paul's doing something similar here in our text this morning. We're looking at verses 27 to 31 of chapter 12, which was just read for us. I think Paul is saying something about how we value spiritual gifts and about how we are dependent on each other's gifts. Last week, we looked at verses 12 to 26 of this chapter, and John was here helping us see this body metaphor that Paul uses here quite naturally. It works very well. It's very clear, I think. And in my own words, Paul is saying here that the church is united but not uniform. The church is diverse, but it's not divided. That the church, we are all made up of individuals who have professed faith in Jesus Christ. We're united to him. Christians all share the same new life in Christ. And because we're all united to Christ, it means we all are united together. The church is united. But that doesn't mean when it comes to the practical working of the body that it's uniform. We don't all have the same spiritual gifting. And instead, there's a diversity of giftings. A diversity of giftings and hence the body metaphor that Paul uses in those verses. Some of us play the role of a hand, others play the role of a foot, some of us an elbow, some of us a torso. That's kind of the image that he's using. We all have a different part to play and we work together. But the problem is, the Corinthian problem, is that they lived sometimes more like their old self and not their new self. And as old people, they looked at their differences and divided over them. They divided based upon spiritual gifts. And Paul is saying here, no, 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 no. There's diversity, but don't be divided. The church is united and it's not uniform. And Paul is holding that up today and getting after them in verses 27 to 31. Look with me, verse 27. He says, write to them, these Corinthians, now you are, that's a plural you, you all are the body of Christ and individually members of it. It seems pretty intellectually clear. Very intellectually clear, makes sense, but practically this can be very hard. And our question is, how does that happen? What do we do? Paul is doing two things, I think, in these verses today. That we should value spiritual gifts according to God's standards. We should value spiritual gifts according to God's standards. Like now that we have new life in Christ, we can't go on living like our old selves and evaluate our lives according to the world. The second thing he says is that we also should be dependent on each other. That we should be dependent on each other's spiritual giftings. There should be a mutual dependence upon each other here in the body. I think that Paul is doing two things here, and we'll see how we get there. But first, we have to lay some groundwork and work through this list that Paul has in verse 28. I hope you see it there in your Bible. So let's look first at apostles. Verse 28. God has appointed in the church first apostles. 
I think Paul is talking about uh, what I would say these capital A apostles. Now, our Bible doesn't say capital A apostles, but I'll, I'll explain what I mean by this. That these apostles were those who witnessed the resurrected Jesus and testified about him in the earliest days of the church. That's who these capital A apostles are. I mean capital A because there only ever was 13 of them. That Jesus had his 12 disciples. You can read about those in the Gospels. And then after Jesus was resurrected and ascended, um, they had to replace one because one of them uh, died, killed himself. Um, they replaced him with Matthias. And then later, Paul comes along to the scene. And Paul encounters the risen Jesus in Acts chapter 9. And so there are 13 of these apostles. These are men who were given this special kind of authority because they witnessed the resurrected Jesus and they were sent with this message. This message that Jesus is alive and this is how it changes everything. So these capital A apostles are those who witnessed and testified to the resurrection of Jesus. And they, their job was to go and interpret what that meant and apply it to the life of the church. And ever since, ever since for 2,000 years, the church, we simply respond to their apostolic witness. There are no more capital A apostles today. There are no more capital A apostles today. We respond and build upon their apostolic witness. But there's a second sense of the term here, because the word apostle really just means someone who is sent. Now, those 13 men were sent specifically and were given a specific kind of power and authority. But in a general sense, there is an apostolic gifting that I think is at work in the church today, that people can be gifted apostolically because they are people who are very good at being sent. There are people, even in our Christ City network, who have the unique gifts and abilities to go and plant churches people who have the unique abilities to go across borders and across neighborhoods and across countries for the sake of the gospel to bring it. I think that's a general sense of the word apostle. I think Paul mainly is talking about these first apostles because they happened first. Chronologically, they were first in the church. So that's what Paul is saying here by apostles. The second thing that Paul says is they were prophets. Now, a few weeks ago, Brant was here helping us understand prophecy, and he quoted a New Testament scholar, his name is Anthony Thistleton, it gave us a very helpful definition, it's on the screen behind you, behind me, that New Testament prophecy is the proclamation of revealed truth to a pastoral situation. New Testament prophecy is the proclamation of a revealed truth to a pastoral situation. And so these people who have this prophetic gift are those who have the ability by the Spirit to look at a particular situation, to understand somebody's needs, whether they need to be built up or, or corrected or encouraged or comforted. And, and they have the ability to speak into that situation with truth from God's Word. That's what this prophetic gifting means. And so here, New Testament prophecy is not about revealing truth or predicting the future as a common understanding is, but it's about applying God's word to a specific situation. That's what the word prophets means here. And it's different in the New Testament because the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ changes everything. It's a cosmic change that radically adjusts how God works in the world through his spirit. That's what New Testament prophecy is. We're going to see this a little bit more in chapter 14 because Paul talks more about prophecy. So um, don't worry if this isn't clear, but let me just say this up front. 
that New Testament prophecy is different than Old Testament prophecy. Um, Old Testament prophets were those who did the same thing on the one hand. They spoke God's word to a specific situation to God's people in those contexts to correct, encourage, rebuke, etc. But the difference was that those Old Testament prophets had the authority to give inspired authoritative truth from God. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, those Old Testament prophets are those kind. It's different in the New Testament because of Christ. But there still is the sense in the New Testament that prophecy in the church today is about applying God's word specifically to a situation. It's proclaiming something that already has been revealed. Now, if that's not totally clear, we're going to see more in chapter 14 because Paul devotes lots of space to it. So we'll keep moving on and see the third thing in the list is teachers. You see that in your Bibles there. God is appointed first, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers. Now, quite straightforward, these teachers are those who are gifted to teach the word of God to us. If you've been around church for a little bit of time, I think you would agree with me that this book is so hard to understand. Can I get an amen? This, this is so hard to understand. And the reason is, is because this was written to people who aren't us. It was written across hundreds of years, across many different ancient contexts, in different languages. It wasn't written in English to us here in Vancouver, but it was written for us. And because it wasn't written to us, it was written for us, we need people to help us understand what does this mean? How does God work in the world today? How does he work in my life? What does it mean to live his ways? And so teachers help us understand these scriptures certainly is at work today, and we thank the Lord that he gives them because this is hard to understand. The next thing in the list is miracles. Miracles includes the, the sense that you would think of. Maybe you think of Jesus walking on water or turning water into wine as, as he did at the beginning of his ministry. Those are miracles, but in a general sense, a miracle really is just God's working in the world, God's working of power. And so Brandt gave the example of Benjamin Lay, who was uh, very instrumental in abolishing the African-American slave trade. Massively oppressive industry, totally opposed to God and his value of people. And yet God used people like Benjamin Lay and William Wilberforce in the UK to stop that oppressive industry, to stop that force of evil. That is God working his power in the world. That is included in the sense of miracles. The next thing in this list here is healing. You see that there, healing. Now, these are not the faith healers today, but God can and does heal miraculously today. He can heal in ways that the best medical professionals, and there are many who are a part of our church here, would look at and say, that is amazing. This is a miracle. This is a healing that God has done. I don't know how it works, but it's happened. And in the same sense, God gives gifts of healing to those medical professionals to heal through the advances of modern medicine and conventional uh, medical wisdom. That's what is involved in this word healing. It's both the miraculous that says, wow, we praise God that this is gone. This diagnosis was changed. No more treatments needed. But also we say, we thank the Lord that these treatments worked. That's what is included in this sense of healing. Now stay with me. We're almost there towards the end here of this list. Next is helping and administrating. Helping and administrating. I'm going to put these together because both of these deal with these practical and strategic tasks that are essential in the life of the church. 
Now, we'll all agree that the church, this is a profound spiritual reality. It's so profound that we are united to Christ. That is spiritual, but we live in this world. And the church is an institution in this world that has to deal with things. And in case you didn't realize it, Fifth Avenue Cinemas does not look like this every week. Uh, they sell, their business model is for people to be entertained. There is not a cross up here every Sunday morning. The tables and the banners and everything else, there's not out there throughout the week. We come and we set it up. So to name some specifics, helping and administrating is involved in Jeremy's role in helping coordinate the setup team and lead it and the people who participate it. It's like Alvin who comes early to help with the worship team to set up the sound system and all those who work alongside with him. It includes Sarah Lynn and Heather who coordinate the children's ministry and those who work there. It includes Megan and her work with the Connect team and everything else. And apologies if I haven't mentioned you, but I think you get the point. There are things that just need to be done. Practical, administrative works that need to be done and they are essential to the body. That's what Paul's talking about here. Lastly, various kinds of tongues at the very end of this list, wrapping it up, we'll see that it's significant that it comes last. Paul devotes a lot of space to this in chapter 14, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on it this morning. Let me just say this. Tongues can either be these unintelligible utterances used to glorify God, or they can be used by speaking different languages. That is what Paul means. So there it is. There's a list. We can come up for air. Paul has given this list in verse 28. But the point here, let's not lose sight of the big picture. The point is that God is giving these gifts to the church. He does that today in these ways. He gives it to the church, not first individually to each one of us, but he gives it to the church. And as we become a part of the church, then we realize and we see the ways that God has gifted us and we use them. God is wise in giving these gifts to the body. But let's ask this question. Why does Paul number them this way? Why does Paul put apostles first and so on and so forth? I mean, I said that there's a chronological order, but I think there's something else. And here's why. Because when we read, when we read the Bible, it's not just a matter of understanding what authors say, because authors say things, but authors also do things with their words. It's not just about understanding what the author's saying, it's about understanding what the author is doing with their words. And Paul is so smart. He knows his Corinthian audience. He knows that those who are receiving this letter value tongues above everything else. They value prophecy above other things. They thought that tongues and prophecy were the higher gifts. They thought they were the better gifts, the most extravagant and the most spiritual. And if you notice, Paul lists those last tongues at least. And so they're reading this and they would think, well, Paul, that doesn't work with our understanding. We think that tongues are first and here tongues are last. Like, what is going on? I think Paul is reversing the values of the Corinthians. But let's, let's look carefully at this. Verse, chapter 4, Paul talks about the apostles first. Or Paul talks about the apostles in chapter 4. But why does he number them first? L listen to this. This is how Paul describes the apostles in chapter 4. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all. Hmm. Like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, 
But you are strong. You are held in honor, but in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When we're reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and still are, here's a punchline, like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. In what world are people like that first? In what world are hungry, homeless, thirsty, ragged, persecuted, homeless, wandering people who are clinging for their life at any given moment, in what world are those people first? Not in our world. Not in the Corinthian world. And that is exactly the point. Paul is showing here that the value of spiritual gifts in the church is all about how much others are built up. That we are to value spiritual gifts in the way that God does, and that is about building others up. That it's God's standards that we are to use for valuing spiritual gifts in the church, not the world's standards. It's not about our own recognition or how much people know your name, but it's about how much we use what God has given each one of us individually for the sake of other people. I mean, just think about this. Here we are, 2,000 years later, and we are still being built up by Paul, an apostle. We're being built up by his ministry of laying the foundation and interpreting the Christ event for us. So for 2,000 years... Who, uh, in terms of humanly speaking, has built up people the most? It's these apostles. Hence why they are listed first. We know that Paul spoke in tongues. He says that later in chapter 4. But how many of us in this room have ever been encouraged and built up or corrected by Paul's use of tongues? I haven't. And you probably haven't. But we are being built up by what Paul is doing in his apostolic gifting of interpreting the Christ event and applying it to us. Do you get the point? The point is that in the church, the value of spiritual gifts is how much it builds up other people. But just because some gifts build up others more than other gifts doesn't mean that they're not important. So let me give you an example. I'll use Alvin. Alvin's on the, on the staff team here. He was here early this morning, played on the, the keyboard. But he was one who's instrumental in setting up all this equipment and the sound this morning. Alvin did that at an early hour. He works hard, but, and he did it for the sake of us. But let me ask you this question. Did Alvin's work this morning directly build up your faith? I would say no, it didn't directly build up your faith. But that doesn't mean that the work Alvin did this morning was not important. In fact, it was absolutely essential so that the rest of us can be built up by the gifts that every one of us has this morning. Now, Alvin has many other gifts, and he directly builds up other people in those ways, but I think you get the point. There are some gifts that don't directly contribute to the building up of other people's faith, yet nonetheless, they are absolutely important. And here's why, friends. Here's why the right value structure matters. Because if you have been given a gift by God, that is more of a background task. You're never at the front of the stage. Maybe you like that. But if you think to yourself, well, gee, I don't build up other people. I'm not important. I'm low on the ladder here. I've got no power or fame or prestige. I don't make the most money in the church. I don't have the most influence. People don't even know my name. 
those kinds of thoughts come from a worldly value structure where we think that I want to use what I can use so that other people would recognize me. But when we have the right value structure in mind, when we care deeply about building up other people, we are going to joyfully use and give everything God has given us because it contributes to the whole. It contributes to the whole of building up of other people's faith. So I'm not denying that there's an order to the giftings, but I am urging you that if you go on living with worldly values for, for, for evaluating spiritual gifts, you're going to drive yourself either to pity or to pride. We'll pick this up in, in, in a little bit. But the key to all this is love. That's why in chapter 13, Paul details this more excellent way, this way of love. And so to put it simply, Jesus-like service through the sake, through love for the sake of building up others is the highest value in Christ's body. It's about re- denying status, refusing fame, refusing to act out of pride or arrogance or self-attention or whatever accolades that people will give you in recognizing what you've done. It's refusing to live like that, that we live out God's values here in the church. So we should value spiritual gifts according to God's standards. And friends, the great news is, is that we can do this. We can do this because of the gospel, because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ gave of himself. It says in John's gospel that Jesus loved his disciples. He loved to the end, to the end of giving himself on the cross as our sacrifice, as our atoning sacrifice, that we would find forgiveness of sins in him. That when we were sinners, when we were enemies of Jesus Christ, he moved towards us. He gave of himself for us so that we would find new life in him. And when we receive that by faith, and friends, if that's not, if you don't know this for yourself, this can be true for you today. That believing in the message of Jesus Christ can give you eternal life and new life here on this earth. And when we receive that, it changes everything because then we can freely and joyfully give of ourselves in the same way that Jesus joyfully and freely gave of himself for us. The model is Jesus-like service in the church. We can do that if we value spiritual gifts God's ways. And that leads us to the second thing that Paul is doing here. Paul is promoting dependence on each other in the church. He's saying that you all should be dependent on each other, a mutual dependence. Look with me at verse 29. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Verse 30. Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? The answer is no. No, not all are apostles. Not all are prophets. Not everybody's a teacher. Not everybody can heal. Not everybody can administrate. And not everybody can speak in tongues. And there are two parts to this. What Paul is saying is you need to grasp both your individual identity and your corporate identity. Here's what I mean. Earlier in this chapter, in verses 14 to 20, Paul is saying that individual members can't discount themselves. Look at verse 14 to 20. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, 
I'm not going to try like Emelina. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And again, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. What's going on there is Paul is targeting those people who look at themselves and say, I'm different from the other people. And because I'm different, I don't belong. Because I'm different, I don't have anything con to contribute. Because I'm different, I, 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 just, I just can't do this. And this is some kind of spiritual inferiority where we look at ourselves and think, I, I can't do this. I don't belong here. And Paul really is saying, you do belong. You do have an individual identity. You do have gifts that other people need. And so if that's you this morning, I hear you. I know what that's like. I can relate to you. Many other people can relate to you. But let me encourage you that people need you. People need you. Because the person who's beside you, the person who's in front of you, the person who's behind you, they don't have what you have. They might have some of the same gifts, but they don't have it exactly like you have it. And God has gifted each one of us in his wisdom, knowing the whole of how his body works for his purposes. And so when we embrace the identity that God has given us in terms of our spiritual gifts and use them for others, we find that we all have a role to play, whether you're a hand or a foot or etc. But don't hear me and think, well, great, I'm the most important person here. Nobody is me. Nobody is exactly like me. There is only one of me. And so everybody needs me because Paul would say to you, don't be spiritually superior. Don't think that you can do it all. Because it's a rampant pride. It is sin for us to live in this body together thinking that we don't need other people. And that's exactly the point. Are all apostles? No. Are all teachers? No. So if you're a teacher, what's the point? You need the apostles. If you can administrate, do you need people who can heal? You bet you do. That's the point. That's the point. That we can't fall into some kind of super spiritual superiority, thinking that we are better than others. Because where we each lack, the rest of the body is built up because there are other people here. So you catch the point? Catch the point? Paul is saying, don't fall into spiritual inferiority. Don't think that your gifts don't matter. They do. But don't think you matter too much that you don't need other people. In other words, we need to be dependent on each other. It's not enough to show up to our gathering here on Sunday, your, your community group, and say, yeah, you know, these people, I can tolerate them. Or maybe you can, you, maybe you're step along and you can say, you know, these people, I can appreciate them. I can sit back and say, that's great. That's awesome. But I don't need you. Paul is saying, no, no, no. We actually have to be urgent in our need for other people that we should realize I can't do this on my own. I can't live out the fullness of what Christ means for my life by myself, that we actually need other people. Friends, the Christian faith is not one of Jesus and me, but it's one of Jesus and we, where we actually need each other for God's purposes of reaching maturity in Christ, living out his ways in the world, testifying to it, seeing that his kingdom comes so that God ultimately will be glorified. God is the one who gives us all gifts for that purpose. And when we realize that, then everything works together. 
Or to go back to my opening illustration, we can't look at those threads on my, on my bike pedal and say, we don't need you. Because you actually do need those. So, there we have it. Paul has shown us how we are to value spiritual gifts according to God's standards and to be mutually dependent on each other. And then he finishes in verse 31 like this. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will still show you a more excellent way. I think Paul is saying higher gifts in a bit of a sarcastic way here. Here's, here's what I mean. Because he's writing to the Corinthians. Remember, they thought tongues and prophecy were the best gifts. And we've just seen in this section, Paul is saying, actually, you should think twice about what is a higher gift. He's not saying don't desire tongues and prophecy because he, in fact, says that in chapter 14. But what he really is saying is you should desire the higher gifts because the highest gifts, the best gifts in the church, are those that are used for building up others. And we all have a role to play in that. And so let us, as Christ City Church here in Kitsilano, earnestly desire these higher gifts. Let us earnestly desire these gifts and the great diversity that God has given to us in the church. Let us desire them to use them for the sake of building up others, of Christ-like service for other people. Friends, this is how the goodness of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ changes us to live his ways, to value spiritual gifts his way, and to be mutually dependent on each other.